Well, it's Canada Day weekend. I hope you guys had a good 150th party yesterday. I uh, went the exact opposite of red today, as bright as green as possible. So you might have noticed I was all redded out. Um, I just found out this morning, my son Dominic actually got tweeted out by the mayor of Sarnia because he was standing on a pole waiting for the parade. And so I was, t- took a picture. I think he just thought it was kind of funny. So uh, we had a great family vacation. We went away and we, we, we really enjoyed ourselves. And I, and I got to say, as a Canadian citizen, I am so thankful for my country. I am so thankful to be able to be here, to, be, to gather as Christians not in secret, but openly, and to be able to realize we are in a place um, that we're really blessed uh, compared to a lot of places in the world. And so I celebrate Canada. I'm very thankful for Canada. The same time, yesterday, I, I, I kept having this kind of article title returned in my head. I don't know if you guys saw it. It popped up in March in Now, and it caused a lot of kerfuffle. I have to admit that the, t- the headline was, Canada 150 is a celebration of indigenous genocide. And my first reaction was kind of a mix of like sorrow and shame and a little bit of like indignation of like, oh, what, can, can you just let us celebrate? And do you, I don't know if you felt that same thing. Recognizing, yes, this is a massive black spot in the history of Canada. And yeah, I still, I somehow still have my love for Canada. And I was thinking about this whole, this whole celebration. I was really thankful in Sarnia, actually, there was a float that came through that was actually from uh, one of the First Nations uh, groups that were there in, in Sarnia. That was really good because Sarnia has had a history of this conflict as well. And so to, to hear that, was, it was very helpful for me. But I started thinking about this, and, and there's, a, there's a picture we have here of a great shame to our country, the taking of the children of the First Nations people, not just, though, to Canada... You might see crosses hanging on the the necks to the church. And some of us might think, oh, well, that was the big mainline denominations. That was the Presbyterians and the Anglicans and, of course, those Roman Catholics. It's not us. But let's say it not so fast. When I started studying kind of the history of the mentality of my European ancestors, as they came to this country, I started recognizing that one of the things that pops up time and again is the justification for the warfare and the slaughter of the First Nations people often came from Scripture. It came from the conquest of Joshua. And this, I'll give you a quote from, this is from 1512, this is from the Spanish side, so this is all of North America. This is Martin Ferdinand de Encisco. Moses sent Joshua to require the inhabitants of Jericho, the first city in the promised land of Canaan, to abandon their city because it belonged to the people of Israel insomuch as God had given it to them. And when the people of Jericho did not give up their land, Joshua surrounded them and killed them all, except for one woman who had protected their spies. And afterwards, Joshua conquered all the land of Canaan by force of arms, and many were killed, and those who were captured were given as slaves and served the people of Israel. And all this was done by the will of God because they were idolaters. And if you go further in his, in his writings, he's saying that we have to do the same to the First Nations people because they are idolaters, and we come in the name of the cross. So our history has included in it the use of Scripture to validate the genocide of the people who were here. 
We can't avoid that. And I want to just take back, we're going to take a, a month to kind of get into a question which I believe is plaguing the church right now, which is the question, does religion cause violence? In fact, I bet you there's a number of people whom you love and care for and you, you know, invite out to church and, and they're always like, no. That is the cause of the violence of our world. It is our religion that causes genocide. And, and if you start to think about it, I mean, who remembers this event that happened not quite 20 years ago? Do you remember where you were when this happened, if you were born? Yeah? I was actually in theology class. And we all ran out to watch a TV in, in the lobby. And I remember the president of our college was an American and he was literally shaking. And he said, we are going to blow them to smithereens. That was his immediate gut reply. And you get it. Thousands of American innocent people were slaughtered. And so you often hear, and you think about what's happening there, we know terrorism, and we have these connections. We think about this all the time. We think about what's happening in Aleppo. We know that there's warfare happening in the name of religion. We also had, more recently, in, in San Bernardino, at a Christmas party, two co-workers. Could you imagine coming to work for your Christmas party, and two people you worked with come in and just start shooting up the place? Again, in, in their name of their religion. We saw this in Paris at the Rock Show. We saw this in the offices of Charlie Hebdo, and everyone was wearing those I Am Charlie shirts to help kind of and it happens in the name of Jesus. Oh, killing in the name of. And so when we really get honest with ourselves and we see these things, you start to see that, that our society has a reason why they start to connect religion and violence. They start going, well, what's going on here? And it starts becoming very vocal and some, some very intelligent, best-selling authors start to vocalize kind of what's inherently kind of questioning in our culture and our society. Charles Kimball. This is very interesting. It was the name of my first pastor. He, he has a book that came out that was called When Religion Becomes Lethal. The explosive mix of politics and religion in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. That book sold well and opened up a lot of questions. So he came, he has another book that's when, when religion becomes evil. Five warning signs. Mark Jurgensmeyer has a book that's called Terror in the Mind of God. The Global Rise of Religious Violence. Richard E. Wentz has another book that's called Why People Do Bad Things in the Name of Religion. Does religion cause violence? Go ahead and hate a neighbor. Go ahead and cheat a friend. 
do it in the name of heaven, you can justify it in the end. Interesting by a group called Peter, Paul, and Mary. One tin soldier. Here's a website. Five reasons why religion is bad for the world. How many people here would say you know someone who this exact thing is one of the reasons why they're just like not interested at all in religion whatsoever? We have very intelligent people saying to us, don't you see the link? We have Steven Weinberg, who is a theoretical physicist. He is a Nobel Prize laureate in physics. And he says, religion is an insult to human dignity. Do you hear that? Religion is an insult to human dignity. With or without it, you would have good people doing good things and evil people doing evil things. But for good people to do evil things, that takes religion. For good people to do evil things, that takes religion. Bill Mayer, I probably know him as a comedian, kind of a popular commentator. He takes that exact same quote and kind of popularizes it. So you might have heard that before. And so we come to try to honestly answer that question, does religion cause violence? And I have to say, my friends, yes. Yes. I'll put a caveat, yes, it can cause violence. And I think we have to own up to that. If we don't, we are very much in danger of walking down that same road of violence. It can cause violence. I mean, we've seen it even in Quebec with the shooting up of of a mosque. We've seen it where it goes the other way. We often think, oh, that it's one way. We've seen it where someone drives a car through the congregants of the people coming out of a mosque. Can it cause? Yes. But also, there's not a necessary correlation. It doesn't have to cause. And I know I'm using this term religion, and a lot of people are like, I'm not religious. I'm using those terms very purposely because this is what we're speaking with in our culture. But there's not a necessary correlation. You don't have to have violence and have faith. They don't have to go together. One of the questions I want to ask is, is it constant? Even in the, in the Christian, of his, Christian history, could you say there's always been violence? People often throw up the crusades. There's a lot to talk about, about that, even the history behind it. When does it happen? When does it start? Where did it happen in terms of the warfare between the different cultures? And um, I could get into that with you. I don't want to do that right now. Was it all peoples in all times who have faith? Is it always happening? I would want to say, I, I think it's more episodic. You have kind of outbreaks where this pops up. Now, you could talk about what do you mean by violence and institutional violence and cultural violence. I get that. I'm talking more over here about warfare, active warring. And the other thing I want to throw out there is that secular ideology can also cause violence. So is it religion or is it secular ideology? I'll show a, a, a picture up here. 
Which dictator killed the most people? We have Yakabu, who was in Nigeria, 1.1 million. Halal in Ethiopia, who, by the way, was coming. Uh, Yakabu was coming. He, he would consider himself a Christian, not necessarily killing in the name of Jesus, but you have uh, Halal, who was coming from a, a secular construct. Kim, uh, second son. Paul Pot. Those two are also secular. So we're talking about people who do not believe in God, actually trying to enforce that belief. Mass murdering. Ismail Enver Pasha, who was actually responsible for the Armenian genocide. If you hear two, two million Christians that were slaughtered. A lot of politicians don't want to talk about that for relations with Turkey. We have Hedeko Tojo, who was the, one of the, the main generals in the Second World War, coming from a Shinto background in terms of his faith. Then we have Leopold II of Belgium, who was a Christian, he would say. Now, did he actually enact it? He, he basically slaughtered in the Congo like crazy. Now, would, would, you, would we say he was a Christian? There's always that debate. The same goes for Adolf Hitler, who most people would say was not Christian. Even most seculars would go, yeah, he wasn't really an active Christian. And then we have Stalin, 23 million people. Mao, 78 million people. So it's not like the thing that causes violence is always religion. When we start to really look into it, what I would say is what causes religion is humans. Human ideology. And, and there's different places. I, I was trying to think about this, and two of the main things I could see happening for, for, for violence in that type of mass scale would be power. People want control and power over others. Dominance. Another one would be fear. Fear of others. And I have to admit, as a Christian, this is the one I'm worried about for us. Because you can see fear boiling up in your heart. And, you, and, and it's an easy thing to turn that into violence. Humans want to dominate, so they grab for power. Humans want to survive, so they're very fearful and they might lash out. You killed my people, I'll kill your people, and it continues and grows. Both can lead us to justify our violence with our ideas. We have a good reason for this, we think. And we justify it no matter what our creed is, our, our culture, our color. It's th that other group... We need to take care of. And so when I think of violence, and I'm thinking of what caused violence, there's kind of two things. I say there's a presence of something, and there's a lack of something. The first thing is, is, the, is the presence of intolerance. Not being able to allow others to be different. Because you feel like it might be a threat to you somehow. Or it might be the presence of greed. Like, I want all the riches of the Congo says the European king. Hatred, like burning hatred over thousands of years for what their people did to your people. It might be a pride and arrogance. We are obviously the greatest of peoples, says Hitler. 
Or it could be a blind obedience. And we notice this all the time where people end up just kind of following the orders of, of a system. And noticeable in all this is there's a presence of these things, but there's the lack of forgiveness. Being able to, to, to stop the chain and the cycle of violence. To let, to let go of your right to vengeance. Lack of compromise. To be able to say, okay, let's figure out how we're going to make this work together. A lack of humility. Being able to say, oh, I am a human like you are. And I probably have my flaws as well. Lack of sharing. Being able to say, let's, let's take this area and we're going to share it together. And so I would say especially a lack of critical self-evaluation. And that's what this morning I'm trying to have, have us as Christians do a little bit of. Wait a second. Where, where are we in, in this? Where's my heart in this? If I'm really honest. What, how do I react to some of these things? So is there violence in the name of Jesus? Can, can we do that? I would say some, some do do it. Has, have you ever had that inclination of wish? At 9-11, did you have that kind of same desire? Not just to, to protect the world, but like the actual hurt the other. I want to throw something else into the mix, because it's Canada, I'm not trying to be... How many people do you know that would kill for their religion, personally? I don't know too many, I'm going to be honest. How many people do I know that would kill for my country? Oh, that might be... So saying it's always a, a faith thing that drives violence, I think it's very interesting. What would people kill for? And ask ourselves these things. Can we kill in the name of Jesus? For him. I would put it to you that I believe no. If I read the Gospels, if I read Paul actually, interesting enough, some people often call it, think of Paul. If I read Paul I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he can legitimately take up a gun and, and go fight in the name of Jesus. Now, some questions come up. What about the, the Old Testament? We have, we have the Old Testament Yahweh war God, which we spoke about earlier. There's some pictures where, where he does seem to say, let's go and kill. And we're going to start to walk and talk about some of those texts in the, in the coming weeks. I don't want to get into them right now. Or the other answer is like, well, what about Jesus in the apocalypse? Doesn't he come back and just like, kill them all? Like, I've heard it said that maybe Jesus is almost worse than Yahweh in Revelation. Something to think about. We'll, again, we'll, we'll deal with these questions as we go. What I want to put forward to you is, as a Christian, as you read the Gospels, you look into the life of Jesus. Just, I, I, I'd encourage you actually to read through them and actually look at what he says, who he is, and how he reacts. 
And I come to the conclusion that he does not want us to kill in his name. Matthew 26 and 50 is a very good example of this. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. He's talking to Judas. Notice he still calls him friend, even though he knows what's going to happen. His, his love is still there for Judas. Then the man stepped forward, and he seized Jesus, and they arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. He drew it out, and he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, to a lot of us, like, what? Where did that come from? You've got to realize that Jesus actually told Peter to bring his sword earlier. I always feel bad for Peter. He's like, Jesus, like, you set me up. Like, tell me to bring a sword, and then, oh. Put your sword back in its place. Jesus said, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he'll at once put a disposal of more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that says it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion? That you've come to me with swords and clubs to capture me? Am I a violent guy? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this is all taking place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples deserted and fled from him. Partly, I believe, because they thought there was going to be this violent kind of uprising. I want to put it to you, that if Jesus had tried to, he could have incited that crowd to come and grab those people and violently dispose of them. If he had wanted to. If he had believed in it. Instead, he tries to show a new way. And that is something that we as Christians need to sit with and, and work with. And there's a lot to work out with this. Because I do have to say, there's a distinguishing between uh, the, the duties of the government. And, we, and, and Paul, you have the idea of the sword is controlled by the government for reasons of punishment. And so there's, there's a lot of things to work out in here. I'm not, I'm not, but I'm just talking about in our hearts, as Christians, how do we respond to this as individuals? And I have to say, we need to resist violence. Let's look at how Paul puts this, when he talks about what, what it looks like to be a Christian, the, the world of Christians, the world of those who are in the Spirit, who are being saturated by the Spirit, he says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. And look at this. It looks a lot like the list I had given earlier. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Just lashing out. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear here. Hatred has no place in the heart of a believer of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying it never exists in the heart of a believer of Jesus. I'm saying it shouldn't be in our hearts. Discord, right? That's just that, that riled up, ready to go, fighting spirit. Jealousy, which often causes a lot of violence. I want that. Fits of rage. I don't know about you, 
That one's sometimes, do you ever just like, don't even understand why you're so angry? It's not supposed to be there in the heart of blue. That's not part of who we are. You shouldn't just like strike back out of anger. Dissensions and factions, all these things. Now what, what is it supposed to look like? What are we supposed to look like in our hearts? But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, also known as long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What would it look like if the people of God looked at the world through these eyes? Love and peace and forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Again, I'm not talking about national policies, and I don't want to get into that. I'm, what I'm talking about is in our hearts. Where, where are we as believers? The way of Jesus is, is a way that renounces violence, that says in its heart, this is not the way God wants the world to be. And I know uh, we come up with, and I, I will say this, like, what happens if someone breaks into your house and tries to attack your wife and kids? What are you going to do? I've got to be just honest. I'm going to find the nearest object and hit that person with it. So I'm not trying to say that I'm like this perfect human being that thinks that violence can never have. I understand we're in a messed up world, right? I, I want to protect my family. I'm, and I understand that there's questions about that as countries go. But what we're trying to talk about here is where in my heart do I settle when I hear about what happened with those explosions over there? How in my heart will I react to people who are the other with fear and thoughts of destruction or with love and gentleness? The way of Jesus renounces violence. It is a way of peace you look into the Gospels, you'll find subversion of violence, aversion to violence, reversion to violence. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's who he, he calls blessed. You might be like, oh, okay, good. No, let's not be violent. We all go home now. If it's so easy, Cyril, why don't we just, that, why do we need a month of this question? Because you know what? We, we have a lot to deal with. When we look into our scriptures, there's a lot of violent passages that we're trying to figure out, how does this work in the story of God? How do we understand this? There's a lot of violence in the history of the church. What do we do with that? And we got to be honest, and we have to kind of self-examine ourselves. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some things. Next week, I want to talk about Yahweh as a reluctant warrior. He, he wants it otherwise. We'll see that. We'll see glimpses. Even the Old Testament, we talk about it being violent. We start to recognize, wait a second, what's going on with the, the underlying kind of antithetical message with all this violence? 
And then next week we're going to talk about Yahweh's rules of engagement, how, how he differed from the cultures around him in, when it comes to warfare. What was different? Why, was there any way in which he was trying to redeem and change the way humans acted in this way? And then we'll talk about Jesus, the warrior of Revelation. What, is that, what does that mean? Is it, what do we do with that book of Revelation? And then finally we're going to close, and, and Craig is going to come, and he's going to just open up how do we read the, the entirety of the scriptures through, through Jesus and, and the questions and the, the tension that we have with all of this. My hope is that this month will be a month that we start to truly grip with the questions, maybe a little bit deeper, and we can be honest with ourselves, honest with our friends, the questions we struggle with. I'm going to throw this out there. How many people have read some passages in the scripture and kind of been like, oh, I, this, this is hard? Like, I know it's God's word, but this is, seems it's almost disjointed from how I, I know what other parts of the scripture say. And how do, we, how do we see how these work together? We need to be open about our Bible, I believe. Really look and be honest about it. Our faith. Allow ourselves to question. Looking into the truth and allow us to reconcile Jesus with our history. I will say this. I do believe the Bible is a, is a beautiful revelation of who God is. And every passage of Scripture is very important to understand. It is God's Word. And we need it. But how to work with it, right? How to, how, how to come and, and actually have truth at the center. What, what does it truly say? How do I work with this? Because truth is important. In fact, we know when we're talking about the, the First Nations people, one of the ways as a country we're trying to work through this is what we call the truth and reconciliation process. Truth and reconciliation, by the way, are hallmarks of the Christian faith. We are modeling as a country in Canada, and we're, we're learning and building from what happened in, in South Africa, the apartheid, which is basically uh, the love of Jesus somehow coming in the middle of a country that was obviously horrifically divided and, and it was just a monstrous action against the black population, the indigenous population of South Africa and how that's been trying to be worked through. And so we're trying to learn from that. And, but what I love about that is at the center of that, so many people in that are, are lovers of Jesus. That somehow Jesus was helping guide this idea that we need to forgive. We need to figure out how how this works. And so as I said, I was really excited to see a First Nations float in the, the Canada 150 parade when I was in Sarnia. I heard that in Hamilton, they actually had uh, the First Nations, some of the elders actually le led the whole celebration. Again, this is hopeful reconciliation for us as a country. How do we work through this? But I would just like to, us to leave today checking our own hearts. Is there any violence fomenting in my heart? as I watch the news? Is there any hatred towards others in my heart? Towards people of other religions, other cultures, towards people, liberals and conservatives? And like, when I look at the state sometimes, I, I, I think like, it feels like a civil war is brewing up, right? This is just like, you see violence going both ways there as well. Now, I, again, I, I want to point out, I don't think this is the same thing as asking, is another, another religion right or wrong? I think it's okay to say, as a Christian, I believe Jesus is the, is the way, the truth, and the life. That's different than me saying, do I have hatred in my heart towards people who fall into religion? I've got to deal with that. Jesus tells me I've got to work through that. 
We're called to love and peace and to forgiveness. And we know from our history, we can't forget this. Because when we get this wrong as the people of God, we get it really wrong. And it makes the name of Jesus a swear word to some people. We have to learn from this and not do the horrible acts in his name. We have to refrain and, and ask for forgiveness. And, and even sometimes I think about what, what happened with the First Nations. We think, oh, we need to get forgiveness for what happened in the past. But it's not just that. It's, it's what's happening now. It's the racism that's endemic in our culture now. It's, it's the fact, I, I read from that article that I was talking about, and, and she talked about how there's more First Nations children being taken away from their families today than there was in the residential schools just through foster care. And, and, and we have the prisons overflowing with indigenous people. We have uh, the water and, and all the utilities. There's, there's a lot of problems today as a country that we have to work through in our hearts. We have work to do with ourselves, with the governments, with the churches. And I know I, there's a lot of complexity in all those statements I said. I'm not trying to be just blanket one side. There's a lot of complexity, a complex reality. And I am thankful to live in Canada. I am thankful that we are known as a, a peacemaking country. I think that's a, a great thing that the world can look at us that way. But I don't think we can just embrace that without coming face to face with our own need to face our violence. And I think our own hearts as Christians is the place where we need to start. We have to stop, stop with the, like the defensive posture, let go of our right to fight back. I think we have to take stock of our own hearts and what might be within us. Because there's a violence within our hearts as humans. I see it when I watch children. Just like that. Look at the younger children. Just like inherently lash out and hit someone. Just because they took their cupcake. It's a natural reaction, isn't it? It's like, whoa. I, I, I know even in, in the sweetness and children, you see that flash of violence in them. And I've seen it horribly face to face when I witnessed a murder. And I will not forget when I kind of, it comes back to me, like the, the horror of what can happen in the human heart. We are broken creatures as humans. We are prone to violence in, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. And Jesus came to free us from this violence. And we have to face up to our own history. We have to look into our own sacred book, into our Bible, and start to pull out those difficult passages. How do these line up with the peace of Jesus? We need to do this work as a congregation, as a, as a universal church, as individuals. Let us follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Let, let, let us be peacemakers. When I look at the communion table, I see hope to overcoming the violence. What I, what I see in the body of Christ broken and the blood of Jesus shed is humanity at its worst, lashing out with all of its violence. And I see an overcoming of that violence. I see God in his infinite wisdom helping the, 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 the violence of, of humanity when it meets his grace and his love be broken, be overcome. And now we have this wellspring of forgiveness and hope that, yeah, we will and we can see peace. Let's pray.
Lord, we come to you in many ways with, with a bitter, sweet taste in our mouth. We're so thankful to be Canadians. We're so thankful for the way you've brought so many cultures together to, to live together and, and to function together. And we see in many ways the hope that can come from peace between peoples. And at the same time, we do recognize that there has been intrinsic violence in, in historically in the past against the people who walked this land before the settlers. And we also see even now today there's violence against those same people and others. And so we ask, Lord God, as we partake of the table today, would you search our hearts? We who call ourselves Christians, could you show us where there's hatred and discord, jealousy, anger, fits of rage? Would you expose those to ourselves and would we bring them to you today at this table and say, forgive me, Jesus, through your precious blood shed to forgive me? Would we remember that Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace. We follow the only hope for peace. May we live and walk in his footsteps and be peacemakers. In Jesus' name, amen.